Hello and welcome to another episode of Politics Jam, where we take an in-depth look at the week's topics and news through a political science lens. With myself, Jeevan, and Michael. Michael, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, very, very well, thank you, Jeev. How are you? I'm well, Michael, I'm well. So today we're going to cover... Well, we're going to start off our series on African politics. So Mike and I both have a a deep interest in African politics. Mike's of a Nigerian heritage and I used to work in Somaliland, so East Africa, for two years as a development economist. So we wanted to take this opportunity and like a few episodes, which we'll come back to kind of periodically, focusing on a continent that has incredibly interesting politics, but also relatively undercovered uh, for understandable reasons, but still undercovered. So we want to draw attention to that. And today we're going to cover Mali, specifically the recent coup in Mali, uh, what it tells us about coups and democratic consolidation in Africa. So, Mike, do you want to kick us off and tell us what happened in Mali this week? Yeah, sure. So I I think it's important to talk about Mali as a country and and its journey to democracy before we start talking about the recent coup um, that occurred last Tuesday. So Mali is in West Africa and it begins its democratic journey in 1991 following a military coup. So this coup followed a sustained period of protest against Mr. Traore, who had ruled Mali since 1968. He was overthrown and Mali begins its journey to a multi-party democracy. So in 1992, the, the Mali constitution states that, you know, it's a multi-party democracy within the same presidential system. There are five-year limits for the president um, and limits of two terms. And the president is the head of the state and the prime minister is the head of government because it's a semi-presidential system. So fast forward to 2012, and we have a coup in 2012, a military coup in 2012. Before I actually talk about uh, the military coup in 2012, I think it's important to define what I mean by military coup before we move on to kind of define the one in 2012. So military coup, what I mean by that is the replacement of an incumbent government by the military force, by the military through the use of force or the threats of the use of force. In 2012, we see a military coup that's driven by extreme poverty, by widespread insecurity, by corruption. So the coup organisers in 2012 organised elections and the Malian people put their trust in President Keita. And Keita is tasked with dealing with various issues that face Mali, particularly the security issues linked to the jihadi insurgency and presence in northern Mali, um, the economic decline and the failing education and health systems. So Mali in 2013, the Malian people put their trust in, in President Keita to enact change, to be the, the positive force of change. And what we've seen last Tuesday and prior to last Tuesday's coup were protests suggesting that he hadn't actually delivered on his, on his promises when he was elected in 2013. So there were mass protests before the, the coup last Tuesday linked to systemic corruption, you know, dispute over the election in April, in April um, the mismanagement of the economy, and particularly the security crisis in Mali. So we've seen a spread of violence across Mali. And in the first six months of the year of this year, 1,800 people were killed by jihadist groups or ethnic militias. Um, so we have seen a worsening situation in terms of the jihadi insurgency in West Africa, in, in West Africa in general, also in Mali. And we've also seen intercommunal violence in Mali too. So there's a massive failure on, on Ibrahim Boubacar Keita's um, um, administration to, to actually deal with some of the, the massive issues facing facing Mali. He was seen as incompetent and also very, very corrupt, and his administration suffered from um, allegations of corruption. So last Tuesday, what happens last Tuesday is, in response to the protests and the months of protests that we've seen since June, um, the military storm into the capital of 
of Mali and essentially um, take President Keita and several other political leaders and detain them. So that these, they are detained and as a result, uh, President Keita has to announce his resignation. And these soldiers have now pledged to set up a transitional civilian government and fresh elections within reasonable time. So they are framing this coup, the military leaders, as a coup to correct the issues faced by Mali. So they are, they are seeing themselves as the arbiters of democracy at this point, right? So what we've seen is in Mali is we have failed, the Malian government have failed to deliver on the promises that they were elected on in 2013, following a coup, ironically enough. So in order to correct these issues and in order to correct, uh, in order to address the very real and imminent threat posed by jihadi insurgency in Mali, the military have overthrown the government and promised to um, provide a transitional government and then elections within reasonable time. And in terms of the reaction to, to this coup, the coup has actually been met with scenes of jubilation in Mali. So I mentioned earlier about protests in Mali. So there are protests in, linked to, to President Keita's administration and the incompetence in terms of security issues and economic decline in, in Mali. So the, the, there have been months and months of protests. So in Mali, the, the, the coup was met with scenes of jubilation. So they, they were quite, frankly quite fed up with, with President Keita's administration. But the international reaction has been far, far less, far more negative than the positive scenes of jubilation we've seen in Mali. So the coup has been condemned as unconstitutional. Mali's been suspended from the African Union. The UN Security Council have condemned the coup and both the African Union and the UN have, have called for those detained to be released. And we have seen ECOWAS, which is the economic union of West African states in the region, also criticise the coup. Fantastic. That's a really, a really nice summation of what's, of what's going on. In terms of the international community as well, we should bear in mind there are, I, th I think, 16,000 UN peacekeepers and French soldiers in Mali at the moment. So in, in 2012, as, as Michael says, in response to that particular uprising, there was a, a threat of jihadists to take over the capital, at which point the French very rapidly deployed troops to stop that happening. And so there's been a, an interest from, from the outside world to ensure some kind of stability in Mali to see, or to stop, rather, uh, a jihadist uprising. I think before we move on like to, to coups in Africa as well as kind of what the wider implications are here, there's, it's worth thinking about why was Keita so unpopular and so unresponsive to the Malian people's demands? And I think there's kind of two or three things I would say here. The first of which is he was able to, in one sense, outsource the responsibility of government to western powers so 70 percent of the central government's budget in mali is funded by aid donors and much of the security as i've mentioned is funded by peacekeepers that's the first thing i think there's no there's not a huge incentive for them to be responsive to people's needs if they don't rely on those people for either security or funding right as a government as an elite the second thing i would say is something like 90% of the Malian population, as well as the political support for the government, was in the south of the country and was not in the violent, afflicted northern and central parts, which is, so they were, they again felt less incentive to intervene at all. And finally, there is this like perverse war economy side to it all, right? When you have foreign peacekeepers coming in, when you have lots of donor money, and that's from 
you know, the UN and whoever coming into the capital, they're spending a lot of money that political elites can then use in order to kind of take for themselves, right? So Michael spoke about the corruption. The president was lambasted, not just the corruption, but also for like buying a brand new jet, for example. And so even when aid donors aren't funding that thing in particular, if the aid donor, for example, is funding your health budget, you can use your tax revenue to also... Um, to also kind of fund your own expenses. And finally, Mali has uh, like kind of quite a large gold sector as well. So when you're exporting gold and you're taxing that, you're not dependent upon your citizens. So whether you respond to your citizens, it's like no taxation without representation. If you can function as a government without taxation, then you don't feel a huge incentive to represent those people in your nation. Yeah, that's a really, really important point, Jeevan. Basically, the, the, the link between civilians and the government was, tattered there was there was no real link there so there's no onus on president cater to address any of the issues faced by citizens or any of the the issues that they they cared about i mean the, the jihadist threat particularly is something that's not been dealt with quite well at all and it poses a threat to the sahel region in general and it's something that's for me is of massive importance not just western africa and africa but to the whole the whole world because we are seeing the jihadist influence and jihadist presence in Western Africa continues to spread and grow and grow. And it's really, really worrying. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point you raise about jihadist groups in particular. And I think it's something wider about the way in which sometimes politics in sub-Saharan Africa in particular has taken place between armed groups fighting for power as opposed to transitions at the ballot box. Thinking about Mali, Michael, so this is like a particular instance where there's been a coup and an armed group has kind of taken over or overthrown the government. Tell us a bit more about like how does how do coups function in African politics? Like how does the Mali kind of situation or example fit into that? So I guess Africa does have like a, a history of military coups, right? But what we, what we have seen in recent years is a decline in military coups. We have still seen very notable re- examples in the last 10 years. I mentioned Mali in 2012, had a military coup, and obviously we've seen one last last Tuesday as well in Mali. We've seen military coups in Niger, in Egypt, in Zimbabwe, and Sudan, and there was an attempted coup last year in Gabon. So I guess why do we have so many military coups in Africa, in, in Western Africa, looking at the case of Mali, for example? And I guess the, the one thing I, I think is some states enter a vicious cycle. So when military coups happened before and they, and they quote unquote worked, both the military and sections of civil society believe that coups are a decent and good way of going about political business. So usually like people who enact coups in, in, in African states, they will they will argue that they are doing so for, for good reasons. So that they will they will always there will always be some altruism to their reasons. It'll be like, oh, we're doing this because the current current governments are not functioning to to the best to the best of their ability. There are some issues with corruption with the, with the recent with the incumbent government and we need to address these. And so we are going to, as a military, we're going to A, form a transitional government and, and, and hold new elections, or we're going to take control of power. So there's usually the two options that we see in Africa. And I, I think the reliance on coups is because we see we've entered a cycle in countries like Mali, where coups have worked before. So Cater, as I mentioned, was elected as a result of a coup. So we've seen coups work before, and Cater was elected on this on hope and promise, and he was going to be the man that's going to lead Mali's fight against you know issues of economic instability and the security issues. Um, but I do think there's like a, a real issue because I've se- I've seen this this coup being framed as a corrective coup. So because democratic institutions are not functioning well, this coup was enacted to 
set Mali back on a path of democracy, but that's not how democracy works. <laughs> um, like, and I think the reliance on coups in Africa is simply because democratic institutions are not functioning well, and they, you know, we we see quite fragile states in in Africa, which means that you know military coups are always always bubbling under the surface as a solution to the failings of of, of democracy, if you like. But I think it's important that, and I, I think it's right that the international community have condemned the the coup in, in Africa, in, in, in Mali, sorry, because the transfer of power in, in democracy should only be by elections. And I think that's really, really important. And when you set the president of the military coup as being the solution and being a way of, of being a way political business should be conducted, every single government will be susceptible to military coup as long as there's popular support for the military coup. So there's popular support for the military coup for a military coup that gives the, the military, you know, the kind of authority to overthrow government and you enter a vicious cycle where that's the way political business is conducted when people aren't happy with the government and that's not that's not democracy mm. i would just say like one thing i always think about is you know linda johnson has this great line where he says the first rule of politics is learning how to count and actually like linda johnson kind of misses a bit out because that's the first rule of, of democratic politics the first rule of politics in the raw is to pay the men with guns and if you ensure the men with guns are being paid, then you can keep some kind of stability for your regime, whether that be uh, an autocracy an autocracy or a democracy. The problem comes when those soldiers are unhappy, when those men with guns are unhappy. And that could be for lots of reasons. That's not just because they themselves are getting paid, but also their families aren't getting paid or aren't well off. But when you see regimes that are stable, it's because they're able to ensure the payment of their military. So I'm thinking about places like Saudi Arabia, for example, right? Saudi Arabia isn't about to end up with a coup in part because their military is well-paid and the security forces are well-paid. We look at places within sub-Saharan Africa, and I think you've seen it here with Mali, and you've seen it, I think, in the Sudan last year as well, I'm thinking of in particular, which is when economic crises mean that soldiers can't get paid, you end up in a situation where political entrepreneurs come along and say, if you take up arms, you can kind of take some resources for yourselves and get yourself to be paid. And so within Mali in the north, for example, the status quo was the government can't maintain order. There has been a conflict between kind of pastoralists and farmers about land use. And we start to see armed groups starting to to rise up and start to fight each other. And when the central state can't pay enough men with guns to keep order, what you start to see is fights and power taking place with armed men deciding who will and who won't rule. And I think it's like a really good point you raise about, about norms, because I suppose the flip side of this is, on the one hand, as we've said, there have been coups in sub-Saharan Africa recently, on the other hand, coups in sub-Saharan Africa are also rapidly reduced where they used to be. So I think in the 80s, we had 20 a year. This year, Mali is the first one, I believe. And I think last year there were, were two or three. As we've started to see a lot more of is a consolidation of power. And looking at other politics in like the long run, as it were, you know, quote unquote, back in the day, politics was all about armed men, or groups of armed men fighting for power and control. That was the way which political power was decided. You think about not just civil wars in certain countries, but also revolutions. It's all about who holds power. It's the person who's able to to pay the men with the guns, and how they do that is 
completely open to interpretation or open for contestation. What's now at least kind of slightly heartwarming in sub-Saharan Africa itself is we start to see a move towards democracy, a move towards people demanding that democratic rights take place. And so I agree with you about the Mali coup situation. It's worrying. It's not the ideal, the ideal way forward for sure. I am at least enthused that protests are taking place for democracy. And I think on the other side of it as well, we've seen it in this in the Sudan at least, like where protests led to kind of the men with guns changing sides. And then a coup there, which may or may not end up in a democratic transition. But actually, I suppose here is a slightly different situation. Uh, a slightly different situation. What's okay, so What's your take in terms of? Would you rather this this coup not have happened at all, and we kind of had waited? Do you think that would have been a better a better democratic outcome? For me, it's just about concerns about democracy, and and I, I think about when when is when a democracy is consolidated, right? So when does democracy become consolidated in the country? And it's for me, it's when even in the face of a crisis change within the democratic system is the solution as opposed to so you go through the formal democratic procedures to to enact change the military don't get involved in and they're, they're not the arbiters of change in a country so for me it's about the setting a bad president and i feel like in africa what states do enter with this vicious cycle of correction by the military which is just not how democracy should function so for me i i think the protests have been very very powerful to be honest with you and it's, it's good to see civil society organizing and voicing voicing their um their anger at cases of mismanagement of the economy and this mismanagement of the jihadi insurgency i think there's a massive issues that like as i mentioned earlier have wider implications i, I do think that it's, that's been very very powerful but what i don't think it's good is the military using these protests as an excuse to overthrow the cater administration and position themselves as the arbiters of justice, as I mentioned earlier, they're, they're, they're the ones who go into then position a new government um, and then elections will be held as and when they see fit. I, I don't think that's that's very, very useful for democracy because it just, it, it, I, guess I mentioned, just it's a bad president, really. And yeah, democracy for me is about solving solving disputes within, within the bounds of democracy. And I, I do think, to be honest, like, Part of the reason people were protesting in Mali is because of the April elections and there was some anger about the, the results of the elections So people were sort of viewing the election results as, as incorrect, as maybe rigged or maybe a rigged election. So I guess the problem is that civil society don't have trust in the democratic institutions in Mali. So even when there are elections and quote-unquote free and fair elections, the results of these elections aren't trusted because of the systemic corruption that exists within, within Mali Mali and the political class in Mali. So I guess that's the problem, right? So how do we build the trust in in, in governments and in, in democratic institutions in Mali? And unfortunately, like incompetence and failing to act on the demands of, of the people is not a way to kind of build trust in in democratic institutions, to be honest with you. So Cicada has essentially paid the price for his incompetence. He's paid a massive price for his incompetence. He's lost his his position as the president of, of, of Mali. But I guess that's the that's the thing, and that's the issue with, with with fragile states and with with democracies that have this this tendency to to explode. Really, in that the democratic institutions aren't mature, so they're all susceptible to yeah. suspicions about you know corruption. I think that's I think that's so. What I should have said actually, what what I should have said, what I didn't say was, I feel like 
you're right, there's a distinction between democratic consolidation and democratic transition. So I'm thinking about periods in which um, the men with guns start to, to throw their lot in with the people that are protesting for whatever reason. And there is some way in which sometimes that could lead to a nice democratic outcome. Or like it looks like it might do. So I'm thinking of the Sudan. So in the Sudan, very quickly for our listeners, uh, Al-Bashir was the dictator for over 30 years, has now been indicted for war crimes for what some people would call a genocide, ran it for 30 years and was all of a sudden overthrown by the army. Well, after protest, overthrown by the army, because again, it, it is the men with guns who decide who rules. And then it looks like it's being thrown over to a civilian prime minister although it's very early days the guy's an economist too by the way just a just a side note but a civilian prime minister and that may or may not work but the men with guns may or may not sign with democratic norms i think here you're right in the sense that like actually you don't want to say i'm unhappy with the president therefore the army's going to come in and, and take things over and yeah one thing we should have said was that like in april of this year there was parliamentary elections and basically the Supreme Court just like handed seats to the governing power just to say like, you know, because I don't know, they wanted to rule. So they just said, here, have some extra seats, which is like not the way you're supposed to do things. You're supposed to rig the election before uh, before you count the votes and not afterwards. But anyway, that's the way it's supposed to be. In terms of how what this means for democracy in sub-Saharan Africa in general, I suppose it's one of the, the unsung success stories in politics the last not just decade but the last kind of 30 years has been democracy in Africa so in the beginning of the 1980s there were very few democracies and about 30 autocracies out of about 45 countries about 30 of them were dictatorships or autocracies right there were very few autocracies in a few mixed system as of today we have about 20 democracies 20 mixed systems and like very few countries in which there are like out and out dictators and that are those few are probably i mean off the top of my head eritrea is definitely still one where you have like a strong military rule in place but in many of those other countries we're starting to see democracy and democratic processes take place I suppose one thing we should really discuss is is why that is and what the what's often missed out in this discussion because I often feel like this discussion always ends up being well you know it was rational for them to move to democratic ideals but one thing we don't talk enough about is is the idea of democracy and the way in which democracy has now become a feature of sub-Saharan African politics which it had never been for all of its history Mike, what do you think about the the role of the the democratic ideal within sub-Saharan Africa? Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. If you even to be honest with you, and I guess for me, the, the most important thing and the thing I'm I'm taking from the recent coup are the wider implications, and we do see a, a Western presence in the Sahel region. My my major concern is the power vacuum in Mali. So could jihadists take advantage of the power vacuum in Mali? And in the aftermath of the, of the coup in 2012. Al-Qaeda took advantage of the political vacuum to launch attacks in the north. And this led to, as you mentioned earlier, Jeeve, France sending in troops. And mediators from ECOWAS, which is the economic union between the 15 West African states, and the military leaders, military coup leaders, have reached an agreement, but the nature of this agreement is unclear. So I, I'm 
very anxious about what happens in Mali because I do think the jihadi insurgency has broad implications for for the world in general. I think the spread of, of jihadi insurgency across West Africa is very, very worrying in terms of the fight against terrorism that we, we've been engaged in for several years and decades now across the world. And if that continues to spread across across West Africa, the ramifications for Europe and, and, and America um, and Asia are, are very, 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 very negative, I think, in my opinion. So I do think we need to really keep an eye on the situation in Mali because the jihadists, like, the power vacuum is something the jihadists were trying to take advantage of. And that's the main thing I'm concerned about, essentially, what happens next in Mali. The Like I said, the agreement between the ECOWAS and the military coup leaders, that's unclear to me. I'm not entirely sure what the nature of that, of that agreement is, but... I do think stability needs to be returned to, to Mali and there needs to be like a, a really strong fight against the jihadi insurgency in that, in, that region of, in that region of the world because it does have broad implications. If I, I'm less, I don't, I'm less kind of convinced on this, on this jihadi line. And I think sometimes we, I think sometimes we, we look at an armed group and we see them as jihadi as to be going, now this is a huge problem. And I actually sometimes think what you've got is you've got a group of men with guns who have this ideological veneer upon which we start to see a huge problem as opposed to like isis for example which attracted a huge amount of foreign fighters to have this kind of very much this uh, strong ideological core whose aim was to push out and kind of attack western institutions whereas this to me feels like an armed group with with this ideological veneer over the top because i was thinking about i was talking to some friends uh last week um, who were from who were in Somaliland and some of them are also working in Somalia at the time and we we're talking about Al-Shabaab and Al-Shabaab recently blew up a hotel in Mogadishu but the reason why Al-Shabaab blew it up was because they didn't pay Al-Shabaab like Al-Shabaab came over and said give us a dollar and they said no and Al-Shabaab blew them up and so I sometimes think I'm, I'm worried more about the men with guns and I'm sometimes less worried about that ideological providence. My worry is more about when you start to have a when you start to have politics take place that way, it's not always clear how you get out. I said a place like the Democratic Republic of the Congo as well, I'm thinking of, where you have this constant conflict between kind of groups of armed men taking what they can that doesn't allow people to live or it's just it's completely impossible to reduce poverty. And I suppose one thing we should think about is like a precondition for democracy is it like as we've seen kind of democracies rise up in very low income countries and i'm not thinking about sub-saharan africa but also india 50 years ago it's not just it's not income it's that at the most basic you need stability you need to have the state be accepted as the primary legitimate means of the use of force and i suppose that's why it links back to mali is because the reason why this wasn't a legitimate government in the eyes of the Malian people was because the most basic form of what your your ruler as the state is, it's commander in chief of the armed forces and national security. That's the first thing you need to do. Everything else is built upon top of that. And if you can't get that right, you aren't really in the government. What you're inside is, is a fragile state. And in a case where the government doesn't have any control whatsoever, you're in a failed state. And so that's what I sometimes think about the jihadist threat. I don't think it's about the jihadism itself. I think it's about the fact that there's a, a group of armed men who are causing instability. But I'm not denying it's got like other implications. These fighters could come into the West and cause other problems. I just sometimes think we, we sometimes forget this other side of it.
my point was just that this stability in that region does have broad implications in terms of the spread as opposed mm -hmm. to an ideological ideological spread i was just like the spread of instability could could threaten security it could cause security issues in in the west that was kind of my point so i do agree with with a lot of what you said there to be honest because i was yeah i was just making a point that i do think the the instability in that region could have broad implications in terms of our security mm. I think or security in other parts of the world yeah that seems good right mike i think that's like a good place to a good place to give our final thoughts what are your what are your final thoughts to the situation in mali my final thoughts are just i just hope that the power vacuum is is dealt with very very quickly because like i mentioned earlier jihadist groups do take advantage of that and we've seen that in the past in mali my hope for the future and my, i i we've seen worrying trends so freedom freedom in the world conducts a report assessing democracies around all the democracies around the world and of the democracies that have regressed the most mm. five of those are in west africa so benin Burkina Faso, guinea mali and nigeria so we are seeing big problems in terms of democracy and the operation of democracy in, our, in Western Africa, and that's linked to a response to the jihadist insurgency in that region. So moving forward, I, I think there needs to be a coherent fight amongst within that region against the jihadi insurgency in order to kind of have the stability and repressive and corrupt governments don't particularly, they kind of foster the environment that drive extremist groups and allow them to flourish. So I do think moving forward, we need to see really, really strong governments in that region that are able to take up the fight against jihadi insurgency. So moving forward, those are my, my, my big wishes, my big my big hopes for, for Western Africa. That's that's a good one. I'm actually going to change my, my final thought a bit now, actually, you said that, because I was thinking one thing that we haven't yet touched upon, and we should, is it's about how climate change has played a role here. And one of the reasons why we've seen armed insurgencies, as Michael says, in the Sahel, so in not just Mali, but also Burkina Faso and the surrounding nations, is because we've seen scarce resources because as climate change has degraded the environment, we've seen fights between herders and farmers and that kind of escalates and degenerates into armed fights between groups. And so we talk a lot about climate wars. This is kind of the beginning of that phenomenon. And it also shows you that you can't have political stability and democracy and poverty reduction if you don't deal with some of the fundamental drivers and one of the big fundamental drivers here in that especially that region of the world is climate change that's one of the reasons why they're starting to fight with scarce resources and as michael said earlier you have this repeating pattern because you have one coup you have another coup because there's fighting before there's fighting again and that was a, like, a really good point and the same i know is also true of, of civil wars and violence in general like violence begets violence that's why we should be kind of be kind and peaceful to one another is uh it's my final thought um cool mike well that so i guess that's a, that's a take-home point let's all be kind and peaceful <laughs> that's it Molly let's hope for the best yeah <laughs> send us in there we'll sort things out i don't know why they keep sending in peacekeepers they just do to like you know play some happy songs and be done with it um speaking of happy songs <laughs> michael what what is your jam of the week for this week so obviously we covered Africa and Africa is close to my heart. And one of my favorite Nigerian artists and my favorite Afrobeat artist is someone called Burner Boy. And he released an album last year called African Giant, which for me is just one of the best bodies of work to ever come out of like Nigeria. It's just fantastic. It's just so good. And there are so many songs I could have picked off this album, 
because I love like most songs on this album and a lot of the songs have like a a special meaning to me because so a close friend of mine we we performed we we danced to one of his songs that's on the album like I was one of his, his groomsmen and we danced to one of his songs danced to one of his songs on his album as we came out so that song kind of I always remember that when I listen to that song so I could have, I could have picked that one but I decided to pick another one that's just perhaps my favorite song on the album it's called anybody so anybody by burner boy it's it's just such a good song and i recommend it like everyone listen to it it's such a good song burner boy is for me one of the greatest artists in the world right now he released a new album i think last week or the week before called i can't remember what it's called but it's really really good i recommend listening to his new album i don't think it's as good as african giant african giant is, is by far and away for me his best body of work and my favorite song on that album is probably anybody sweet That sounds good. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Peace.